Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Based on an earlier short film, Jennifer Pong's Advantageous is the story of a mother by the name of Gwen who just wants the best for her daughter, having recently been laid off from the Center for Advanced Health and Living, a company on the verge of a breakthrough in terms of transferring consciousness from one body to another, Gwen struggles with putting jewels into a private school that could set her up for life. And that is the premise of the film Advantageous, and we're here today with the writer and the director of that film, and that would be Jennifer Pong. Jennifer, welcome to Film School. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Well, um, I alluded to it, but uh, this is based on a film that you did, I believe, for ITVS back uh, called Future States series. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the story behind Advantageous. Uh, I was living in New York, and uh, the wonderful um, people at ITVS asked if I could submit a proposal for um, one of the short films for their short film series. It was, a, it was in its third season, and they were asking for films about the future um, of our world, in particular the future of the United States. And um, I happened to be particularly tuned into. Uh, how hard it was for families, um, especially with kids entering um, the high school and college, uh, basically, especially for kids who were were trying to get into the best schools. um, I became really sensitive to the pressures on them after traveling on the subways and, and seeing the way that parents were constantly trying to keep their kids excited about learning and um, and basically competitive in in that in that environment in the New York environment. Mm-hmm. I was also exposed to parts of New York where that didn't seem to be happening as much because maybe you know the families were more from a working class um, neighborhood and and were more about making sure that they were making ends meet. Um, and, and making sure that kids were just getting to school and getting home and doing their homework. Mm-hmm. So I, I started to be really, uh, you know, intimate with the with these the kind of disparity, what seemed to me like a bit of unfairness in the world. I, I know about unfairness and poverty very very well, but to see it in a in a metropolitan environment that in that way was interesting to me. So did you, in, oh, I'm sorry, in thinking about that issue, and that certainly is a, a key element and advantageous, what prompted the, the turn towards sort of a, is it, are you comfortable to say sci-fi? What, how do you characterize the genre of your film? Um, yeah, I'm happy to call it sci-fi, sci-fi drama. Um, Jacqueline coined the term domestic sci-fi. <laughs> okay. Um, and... Uh, I, I think it's like an intimate science fiction film. Yeah. Okay. So what what prompted did what was in your creative process that you said this will work better in and that sort of a in that mode of talking about well, this issue? 
It's, that's an interesting question. I mean, the series itself is a science fiction series oh, right. that I was proposing. Yes. Or, yeah, and so, so that was an automatic genre that I, 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 I was in. And basically, I, I had been a bit of a sci-fi lover for a long time, having launched Blade Runner, being obsessed with uh, Ghost in the Shell and Battlestar Galactica, and even like animes like other animes like um, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and in all of these, there is this idea that of you know the question, the it's always this question of whether or not an android or a cyborg you know has a, a valuable existence or a valuable consciousness, um, and if they're they're equal or and, and usually in these. And in all of these um, series and films, it, all these <laughs> these not quite human um, protagonists are are really lonely and sad and in a lot of pain. Um, so I was pretty familiar with the genre, mm-hmm. and um, and so it came quite naturally uh, yeah. to kind of bring together this mother daughter story with that. Um, it wasn't like I was setting out to do something that hadn't been done before, though. I was looking to represent a reality that I felt was something we needed to talk about and that the world kind of needed to face for, you know, the, the challenges that face women, the challenges that face girls, mm-hmm. and the, the issues of, like, you know, class, class struggle. Yeah. Um, and it kind of all just kind of gelled at once one day while I was sitting on my floor in my apartment in New York. <laughs> there you go. By the way, Advantageous has been nominated for uh, a Spirit Award for um, the John Cassavetes Award, and that's a film that has a budget of under $500,000. And one of the really compelling things about the visuals here, it looks like a, a, a film that where a lot more money was spent on the visual effects. Um, they're really, really good fa- effects, not just the exteriors, but also some of the other um, and key elements to the film as well. You did a fantastic job. The, whoever, the the crew of people you were working with, your ability to kind of make it look like a lot of different cities. I mean, look like one city, but uh, allude to a lot of different cities, as well as some of the special effects are really effective in this film. Yeah, thank you so much. I need to you know give credit to a lot of people for that. Um, you know, our, our visual effects team was a a large collection of young, independent VFX artists who were ready to kind of jump into an ambitious um, project. And um, Catherine Tate, um, who did the visual effects for Beasts of the Southern Wild and Fruit Vale, a lot of independent films. Um, she's just been a really longtime friend of mine and um, was kind enough to, to take this on and um, work with people who are just coming out of, you know, and in and, 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 you know school school for visual effects and and that was and this was an opportunity for all of us to work together to to try to achieve something as polished as we could with the time we had so it, it really helps to hear that um, people enjoy the visual effects because it was absolutely uh, you know kind of reaching above you know punching above our weight class um, and a lot of what, what we consider successes came from long development. Um, I had an art director named Jean Elston, Jean Elston, and she and I just spent, you know, months 
upon months making sure that we liked the look of um, buildings and, and before we like sent them off into the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we were still editing them, you know, and, and changing and shifting them as we went through. It was a pretty long and, and I'll, I'll say arduous process, but I'm just so happy that it's been working for this film. Oh, yeah. Um, we're all really, really proud of each other. Really great, great stuff. We're speaking with Jennifer yeah. Pang, the uh, director and writer of the film Advantageous. Um, it's on Netflix. People can watch it there uh, as well as, or there, I'm assuming there's other platforms that you can... Yeah, on. it's on iTunes right. and Amazon. It, you know, it's I, I can't like champion one or the other, but I'll say that iTunes is, is a preferred platform if you don't have Netflix. <laughs> okay, um, okay, that's fair. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. L- let's talk about um, Jacqueline Kim. She is the star of the film. She plays Gwen. Uh, and she's also a collaborator. Talk about the re- relationship um, that you're talking about, this development of relationships uh, in, in making this film. This seem, certainly seems to be a, one of the key key collaborations in the film. Absolutely. Um, Jacqueline, and, Jacqueline and I met um, at a rough-cut screening, like a focus group screening for my first feature, Half-Life. And um, she and I have a mutual friend, our edit- my editor for Half-Life, Harry Yoon, and we had all, and you know, she really responded to that work, and um, we started, you know, talking about her work. And then I, you know, moved to New York and and did a bunch of things. And then um, in thinking about who would be the perfect Gwen, of course, she came to mind. And as we went through the short film, you know, I could feel very clearly from her a, a creative energy, someone who was really ready to to completely immerse in in the work and you know she became active in trying to you know make sure that you know the story was as clear as possible made sure making sure she understood Gwen's background her intentions and the world and you know she she was just such a stellar performer on top of that um, so it was really easy for me to ask her you know if she wanted to continue forward and, and expand it into the future and and Thank goodness she was game, um, and we just and I asked her to become involved in the writing because I knew she was also looking to to get involved in screenwriting and had already um, scripted many things. And um, we spent some time, you know, in a bit of a personal retreat together, you know, expanding the world and then um, sending the script back and forth. And then at some point, we just ended up rolling into production <laughs> and we were kind of fighting for time then because we were also trying to make sure that we shot in time to before like Jules or who's played by Samantha Kim before Samantha Kim became a teenager, like mm-hmm. a total full grown adult. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure we, we shot because um, <laughs> we, sh- we, we loved her so much. And she is, she's just a, she's just an amazing talent as a young woman. And, um, and her mother was extremely supportive of the film, and, and her mother, Mina Kim, um, became a major collaborator as well because, you know, she connected so well with the story and, and encouraged me, you know, to, to continue with it because um, she felt that it would connect with a lot of mothers at the very least and, and that was that it was very needed in our world. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's a long answer to, yes, it was a, a, a very deep and meaningful collaboration. Well, just for yeah, and obviously, obviously, and uh, you, you as a filmmaker and as a person, you seem uh, very much ab- about 
the 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 relation establishing a relationship and maintaining that relationship for um, you know for a long period of time and very collaborative which i think it really comes out in the film i, I will say even the interaction between um the two characters um gwen and uh, jules um there's a there's a quiet you know deliberate nature to to the film it's a very it reminds me in pace of does remind me of Blade Runner, to be honest with you. It's a, there's a there's a <laughs> lot of space in between film uh, to, between dialogue and uh, there's you you leave space for people to sort of a contemplative film in a lot of ways. But there's also w with the character of Gwen um, this kind of pent up emotion, things keeping things inside and and really trying to you know manage and hold on, and especially for her daughter. And then be even between the two of them, there is a, it's a really special sort of back and forth that they have on screen that is so authentic and so much about the rest of the film as well. That you did a really nice job with, with that, th that relationship. And uh, she's obviously, uh, Jules is obviously very precocious and, and, and brilliant young woman, but so is her mom. And so the back and forth between them is, it's just really uh, um, intelligent, really well done. So on that level, I just and this for me, I mean, I think you would say the same is the core of the film is that sort of relationship. Obviously, is a, is the the biggest part of what what's going on in the film itself. So um, it's really wonderful stuff. Oh yeah, um, I'm I'm so glad to hear that. Um, um, they they brought everything they could to these these relationships and um you know Jacqueline's a very experienced and real deal artist and and she just made sure that she and Jules were connecting. She and Samantha were connecting. Um and um it was it was really an amazing thing to watch and, and that's why we couldn't stop making the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um it was too valuable <laughs> to 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 verify and, and experience. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're speaking with Jennifer Pang, and she's the director and writer of the film uh, Advantageous. And um, l let's get—we really haven't dived too far into the actual sort of the the um, machinations of the film. Um, Je uh, Gwen is faced with a uh, with a crisis in her pro professional career, and obviously a, a crisis with her daughter's ability to get into a particular school that will in some ways help ensure her future so these these two competing personal challenges if you will um kind of come together in the film and i'm going to leave it to you in terms of how far you want to take that part of the the interview in terms of uh i don't want to give away a whole lot and and I'd, i'll leave it to you to sort of allow our our listeners uh, as much of the plot line as you want to talk about. So Gwen Co is um, the Korean American um, spokesperson, basically a puppet CEO. A puppet CEO, the idea being, you know, she 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 represents herself as as someone who <clears throat> is the head of this company, but she's also she's not really privy to the 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 true the you know the the secrets of the company. She just represents. She's more of a salesperson, um, which is c 
kind of something I figured out over time that, you know, a CEO isn't necessarily someone who invented everything or in, in the company or is involved even in the technology. They just represent that they understand it mm-hmm. and they help sell it um, mm-hmm. to their stockholders, um, their stakeholders. So Gwen is this puppet CEO and she's been there for a little while and at the opening of the film, you get this, you get an understanding that she might be replaced um, because they're looking for a, a younger face of the company. They use specific um, corporate language. What is it? They're a broader demographic. Well, what is the word that they use, which um, I just love? Mm-hmm. Younger demographic. Well, it's younger, but younger, I thought there was a gonna... yeah. Go ahead. Oh, 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 well, I think I know what you you mean. Um, the character of Fisher, who's played by the incredible James Urbaniak, who people will know from many Hal Hartley films and yeah. also um, some some really awesome series that are happening right now, as well as he also is the voice of Dr. Venture. Um, he he plays her supervisor, and he basically says that they're looking for a more universal look yeah. for, for the face of the company in addition to her being younger. So a lot, a lot of different people read that as white, mm-hmm. that they want a white woman to be the head of the company now. Um, in my view, I was, when I think of universal look, I do mean that. Like, um, you know, if you think of Johnny Depp, he has a bit of a universal look in the sense that, you know, he, you can't quite say he's white. Some people will say he's white, but mm-hmm. you know, other people claim him, you know, claim him and claim his ethnicity. Yeah, I, and, I, I would I refer, I refer to this as uh, ethnic, ethnically am, ambiguous, and right. yeah, so that, so that's I think what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so right. go ahead. And it, it speaks to a lot of um, the ethnic ambiguous, the appeal of an ethnically ambiguous look um, is something that we're pretty familiar with today in Asia. Um, you know, Asians will try to look whiter. In in Latin America, the same thing. Everyone tries to look whiter. Um, and white people sometimes try to make themselves look a little more ethnic if they can, <laughs> yeah. depending on what they want or need. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all about kind of trying to hit a wider demographic and being kind of a superhuman in a way, um, almost alien in a, in a in a positive way. But um, and I you know I, I use the word positive in quotes, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, they they're asking for a more universal look, and Gwen has to Gwen kind of thinks about it and and because the company actually specializes with the technology she's actually been selling is about is is able to put you into a new body she asks if she can if she might be able to put herself into a new body in order to keep her job and sell and sell the technology and continue to earn money to put her daughter through really expensive private schools um, because in this near future, there is no future for you if you don't, if you're not on the right track. You're not tracking all the way through the the, the, the most elite um, schools into the most elite colleges. Um, and that's not like you're saying that's not actually that far away from from reality. No, it's not, um, not at all. If if you and I mean you know I have my own perspective on whether or not that's something you, you should fight for and sacrifice for to the point where it's sacrificing. You know, some biggest the biggest parts of you, but um, you know some people feel and Gwen feels that that it's worth it. That you know her place is to make sure that Jules is safe. Yeah. In the in the and maximize you know 
and, that potential. And hence this moral and dilemma, financial dilemma in some ways, many ways, uh, causes her to confront a lot of uh, issues in, in her family's past and her there, there's a, a storyline regarding her her um, sister and and their family and all these things start to come to a point because she has to make this extremely uh, difficult and in many ways life-threatening decision um, and I I will say that one of the things that I just love about Advantageous is that you do not resolve these things in ways that are typical, are, are sort of a, a given expectation about films like this, which I really liked a lot about it. Um, and I, th I just thought that you're, you're, again, you trust the audience a lot in this film. You trust us to. <laughs> this is a film. There's there's art films that you want. You know, you watch and you walk out of the theater, and the next question you you might have is, "Where are we going to eat?" I don't think that happens with your film. I I don't think that you walk <laughs> out of your film wondering about anything except what is it that I just saw in terms of how it's really in many ways this is not that far off. It really isn't that far off. And and I think, as you've said in other interviews, in many elements of your film are here today. It's not. It's really not a stretch. So these are real questions. <laughs> they're not. They're not science fiction questions anymore. They are real. And um, so. Yes, yeah, the film is. The film is either you know excited people because. You know, they're seeing something new and fresh um, that speaks to their realities or it speaks to their, you know, they, it gets, it's excited. It's exciting because it's different yeah. or it terrifies them, makes them sick <laughs> and it makes them like implode into this kind of depression or, you know, I mean, basically it's, it's getting such extreme reactions. Well, the third reaction is something like hatred, total hatred. Why? <laughs> of, Why is that? Of the issues. Oh, okay. Well, some people are just aren't ready to be challenged that way. I mean, you mentioned earlier um, in our talk the the feminist aspect of the feminist dialogue. Yeah. In, in the film, some people just hate feminism in general, <laughs> and and they think they can understand it. They, they but they also can feel it's a little bit attacked and overly challenged by it. And when they feel overly challenged, they tend to call it, you know, didactic. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, there's only so many ways you can speak about this without... I mean, there are many, quote-unquote, feminist films out there, like you could look at people called, you know, you know uh, Mad Max, a feminist film, mm -hmm. that indirectly is a feminist film, you know, and some people would argue that it isn't. Um, but... But we, you know, we didn't totally want to let people off the hook and, like, you know, kind of ride the fence. Mm -hmm. um, we we felt that certain things could be said, and and we were taking risks. But we just we got really super lucky that we weren't the only women out there who wanted to kind of open, you know, raise our voices. Um, and and some of the momentum behind the film is credit is credited to just celebrities and empowering young women to to be feminists like yeah. Beyonce and like Emma Stone and and um um just 
it's somehow okay to be a feminist again. And, yeah, yeah. and like a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, it was it was like the F word. You know, you couldn't right. bring it up without sacrificing your commercial potential. Well, and and um, to your point, and I agree that I mean that's a that's a, the idea that Gwen is is too old. You know, that's doesn't happen with men. Um, and, and it's certainly not yeah. to the same extent and degree, if at, if at all, but it's certainly not for someone who um, is the face of something in this world, whether it be corporate or whatever, whatever it might be. There, there is ageism. It's, it's uh, you know, whatever it is, it's, uh, there's all that kind of thing coming going on. And, and in addition to that, it is um, now we're within reach, not far off, of technologies that will allow us to extend our lives and do all kinds of things. And these are all very basic human questions that have to be asked. I don't know if we have an answer for them. I don't know if we ever will. Um, I went a long time ago, I heard someone say uh, that technology is kind of an agreement between God and the devil. Let, let the humans have it. And let them see what let's see what they do with it. It's not. It's a sort of a. It's a. It's a vessel in which you can pour the good, or the intent can be good, or or not. And I think we're yeah. rapidly uh, approaching that point where uh, um, technology is a, in, uh, non-moral. We put into it whatever we can do one way or the other with it. And I, I think there's a lot of uh, truth to that. I, I just think we we lack the the capability of of deciding on something until we're way into it and then all kinds of things come up and that we try to deal with and and like technology i mean as as in so many of these technologies but in it and i got off the subject of feminism i didn't mean to but that that all as well plays a huge part in what we're talking about and talking about advantageous as well um yeah, I need to correct. I, I meant Emma Watson when I when I said Emma Stone. My apologies um, to to Emma Watson, but but she, but yeah. And but what I can say to your point is that the the feminist movement has benefited tremendously from social media. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's allowed women women and and men who are feminists to connect and feel empowered and continue to spread each other's perspectives. And and challenge and challenge you know people who don't quite understand you know the idea right. that women and men could be equal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you, equal human beings. <laughs> and I absolutely agree. I think the 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 wonderful thing about social media is that it allows you to, with almost anyone in the well, it may be too too much of a stretch to say anyone in the world, but with it, it's the availability of spreading so quickly around the world that to experience or understand or hear about experiences that um, you could not have known until the advent of this particular technology is remarkable. And I do believe that we're about to see technology and people who are connected on social media have tremendous political um, impact on, on our system. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think that we're on the verge of some, you know, polling will be irrelevant at some point in terms of how we understand perspectives of political campaigns and the rest of it it will not be about that anymore and this i mean i it's like i'm not doing a good job of explaining that particular but anyway it, it's changing and so much of it is and i think you're absolutely correct to say that uh that the the, the perception of women and women's role in the world is going to be uh, the beneficiary of this kind of technology 
And, yeah, I yeah. hope so. I, well, I hope so as well, because honestly, I, I've said this before. It's not the first time I'll have said it. I've said it in other interviews, and that is, if we can figure out how to get women in schools and economic opportunity, the world will be a much, much different and better place very, very quickly. W women who have mm -hmm. options and choices usually make the right choices and will often be the catalyst for very positive changes in societies in, in very, very short order. Uh, and you, it's, there's so many examples of that all around the world. Um, but as long as we continue to deprive women of economic and, and scholastic opportunity, um, we're, we're doomed. I'm sorry. I mean, I, we just aren't going to do very well. And uh, so uh, I, I don't know how far I'll, I'm sorry to have gotten off on that such a tangent, but uh, I, I, I always apply to see films like yours. And, to, and, and this is a, a film about women. I mean, there's, I mean, James Ur Urbaniak is in it, but very few other men are even in the film. And it's, and it oh, is yeah. in it. So it's, so that's an important part, obviously an important part of what you're trying to convey as an artist. So the men who were in the film, I must include um, a word about Ken Jeong, who was one of our producers on the feature and plays a, a kind of important pivotal role mm -hmm. in the film. They, the reason they got behind it in such a strong and benevolent way um, was because, you know, they have daughters. These men have daughters yeah. Yeah. And, and wives who they empathize with and also are very concerned for. Yes. Yeah. And they completely identify with the issues in the film. It's 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 the men who, who who actually have women in their lives that they need to um, both respect and also be concerned for that that connect with uh, with the theme. There there you know so like like I was kind of saying the response sometimes has been a little bit of a there's been a little bit of a gender divide in terms of mm. enthusiasm for advantageous, but the but the the men who like the film. You know, they see its value because oh, yeah. it because so. yeah, yeah. Well, it's been interesting. Yeah, I I well, thank you so much for the film. I'm taking a little more time than I expected with you, and I'm so happy you've been able to uh, find time to do this. Uh, the it's a terrific film, uh, and I think I've not said enough about kind of the immersive quality. Uh, the one I think one of the strengths of the film is it is it's easy to fall into the world that you, that advantageous inhabits because it's utterly believable the, the as we talked about earlier your special effects are fantastic in terms of make creating a world that seems very very immediate in and and it and uh, um just a wonderful film all the way around and congratulations to you and Jacqueline and all the people who had a part in, in making Advantageous. Really, really wonderful film. Thank you. And it will be playing for the Spirit Award screening. Um, if you're a film independent member, it'll be playing in the next week or so in New York, Minneapolis, and Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and the LA, the LA screening is on Monday, January 25th okay. at the Arclight in Culver City, 9.30 p.m. Oh. If people want to see on the big screen, okay. um, that's an opportunity. And if you're a film independent member, it's free. Well, and and that yeah. I would heartily uh, recommend that as as a way to see this because, yeah, it 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 on a, it would definitely benefit from a, a big screen experience and, um, yeah. So the twenty fifth yeah, at we, the Arc Cool. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Liz. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, I'm excited about it because oh, you mentioned the music earlier. You know, we we spent a lot of time articulating the sound mix, and so it's a nice vibed out one mix. And um, our our composer Timo Chen, um, who I met a long time ago, but who's been through the Sundance Composing Labs as well, um, was was one of my deepest collaborators for like more than a year on making sure we had a pretty unique soundtrack. Did a great job. And it's nice to see Ken um, Jong as a, in a dramatic role. Did a nice job. Yeah, he did. Awesome. He was really. Uh, it was, it's good to see him. Um, he's he's a very likable performer. I mean, almost everything I've seen him in, he's just he's a really seems like a pretty cool guy to be around. So um, yeah, I was just on his set yesterday. I, I was stopping by the Dr. Ken set. Um, and he's just an amazing talent. And just to see him work yeah. in rehearsal is just extraordinary. Yeah. Well, congratulations again, Jennifer Peng, the, the director and writer uh, of Advantageous, um, and to, uh, to, the, to the future. Um, I'm sure that, uh, or I'm hoping to hear your name mentioned um, you know, among uh, other films being made and, and, and look forward to, to seeing them and hope, if you can, come back. I <laughs> hope you can find some time for your next project. I'd love to talk to you again. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. Thank you. Again, the film is advantageous. The director and writer, Jennifer Pang. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.